Cool. You know, uh, Ephesians 4 says that Jesus gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints. And because we're not totally mature yet, those gifts are still in operation. And so we believe that God has given gifts to the church. We'll talk more about that in depth, but Steve and Terry are gifts that God has given to the church. They lead a church in California uh, that's having a huge impact. Uh, they minister all over the world. They're not here because they're traveling ministers. They're here because they're our friends, and we've known them for almost 40 years. I hate to say that because it makes me feel old, but almost that long. And... Uh, how do you know if someone is a gift to the church? Not because they have a business card that says, I'm a gift to your church, I'm an apostle, or I'm an, a, pro a prophet, but because you see the fruit. And so we've seen, Mary and I have seen the fruit in their life for a number of years. Um, we've seen that, we've seen the character that they have. It's, uh, if you ever look at the qualifications for leadership, it's almost all character. It's very little gifting, yet, in much of the world, it's all about gifting, and we ignore character. But the Bible focuses on character. Jesus can fill people and gift us if we have the character to maintain it. Too often if we ignore that part. So we're really glad to have Steve and Terry Barr uh, here with us. Steve's going to share this morning, so why don't you come? Terry, if you would like to say something, I'm sure you would. <laughs> I've known them for 40 years. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here. We've been so looking forward to this, getting to Launceston. And um, these are our good, good friends, Russ and Mary, and you got a gem in them. <laughs> but I'm telling you, they got a gem in you as well. And uh, I just want to read a scripture. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about Russ and Mary, they're great people, but here's the thing, is um, the faithfulness of God is in them, and they love Jesus. And Jesus is the center of Russ's life, Jesus is the center of Mary's life, and Jesus is the center of their marriage and their family and the way they raise their boys. And so that's what I trust in Russ and Mary. So when Russ and Mary come and minister in our church, and we always want them to come back everywhere they go, we, they want them to come back because they build so well, um, it's, that, it's, it's Jesus in them, and that's what you can trust. Um, Psalm uh, 16, 6 um, is a very well-known scripture, and it says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And um, for each of you, the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. This is a beautiful place. And just even that structure, that orange structure, it's like, oh, something's coming. <laughs> and there's going to be more beauty. And uh, we, we walked on, along the gorge uh, Above the gorge, below the gorge, I guess above the gorge. <laughs> Yesterday, beautiful, beautiful. And the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. And also for you, Russ and Mary. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. This is a good place that God has called you to. But the scripture before that says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
And what is your portion? It's Jesus. Uh, when you're a little kid, you want to make sure that the cake is cut um, fairly. And you want to make sure you get your portion. And last night, um, Tim made a pavlova. And they were portioning out. And Kate said, OK, give the kids a little portion. <laughs> Just a small piece. But I wanted a big portion, because <laughs> I love pavlova. <laughs> But uh, for each of us, we don't have to be, we don't have to compete and we don't have to say, oh, they got my portion or they got, our portion is Jesus. Jesus is your portion, every single one of you. And here at Redemption Hills Church, Jesus is your portion and that's enough and that's exciting and we can all uh, depend on that. So thanks for having us here today, and I've enjoyed uh, getting to know some of you and, and look forward to getting to know you better. God bless. Thanks, honey. Good morning, everybody. It is, I'll tell you what, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. We've been looking forward to this for a long time, and uh, people in our church, like Terry said, the ones that love uh, Russ and Mary, they all love Russ and Mary, not just the ones that love Russ and Mary. <laughs> <laughs> they are totally jealous of us being here and I just sent a picture back of here and I go I bet you guys are jealous and uh, but it's still Saturday there so uh, they, uh, we often in California we're almost at the tail end of the time cycle around the world and and uh, you guys are pretty much at the beginning, and you are usually in Monday by the time we're bringing up the rear, we call it, uh, of, of believers who love Jesus all around the world, uh, hundreds of millions of people uh, worshiping and loving him. And so uh, I just, um, I want to make sure that I don't start too quick and just uh, get into the message here this morning without saying what God wants to say. I... Um, uh, I want to say this, that I feel this phrase is applicable for you guys for such a time as this, for such a time as this. Uh, Esther, she's the one, you know, her uncle Mordecai said that to her and uh, that she was a queen uh, for such a time as this, that God positioned her and she may not have understood. Um, and if, you're, if you look at your life like a connect the dot picture when you're a kid, you know. Sometimes you could figure it out ahead if you're a little bit older or if it was simple enough, but sometimes they're so complicated you can't figure it out until you get to the end. You go to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So our job is not to create the picture. Our job is to obey Jesus when he says, you go here, yeah. now I want you to go here, and I want you, but why, Lord? You know, now I want you to go here, I want you to go here. Ah, oh, you went the wrong way. We gotta scratch that one out and go this way and redo. I love that thing about GPS as you get, it says uh, re, recalculating, <laughs> recalibrating. It's like Jesus does that with me all the time. It's like, ah, like this recalibrate. Um, but God has put you in your life, the dealings of God in your life, your past, your history, your parenting, uh, the successes, the failures, uh, the agonies, uh, the victories, uh, all these things for here. I believe that there's, uh, and, and I don't say this everywhere I go, and, and Terry uh, feels it too, that there is something here that God is doing. Um, many of you have heard your stories briefly from Russ and Mary, and I can't put all the faces to the stories yet, but hopefully we will. And 
um, there, there's something taking place uh, with the people that God is drawing. And I know many of you God is drawing and said, yeah, I, I feel like this is going to be our church. In fact, this is what we've been praying for. We've been praying for an awakening in this region. We've been praying for... Uh, um, you can't have revival unless there was once viable. <laughs> you know, when you want to have revival, you have to, and that has to do with life. And so you want to revive what, what God put here and what God destined and designed for this region and that this church would be a strong, healthy local church, that from this church would flow authentic New Testament Christianity. And because of the health and wholeness of this church, this region and the world will be impacted uh, for the cause of the kingdom. And, and God has brought you here for that. And um, I say this to, uh, sometimes we'll get people who've been around the block and they love Jesus for a long time and they, they come to our church. And uh, in what we have a new members class, I'll say this, something like this. You, you know the game. You, you know the word of God. You know you've been around. You're not a novice in this. Uh, you love Jesus. You know, and, it's, and I liken it to a sporting team so, like an American foot, football gridiron, we have, you know, the quarterback, sort of like the, everybody goes off, he's the one that, that makes the plays, and you might uh, draft a star quarterback to your team. He knows the game. He loves the game. His whole life is the game. But he doesn't know your playbook, and they're a little bit different. And so, that's kind of like in the beginning here, and um, whether we... Uh, Russ may not say it, but he's sort of like that quarterback. He's, he's, he's the one that God has called, and Russ and Mary in team together here, and we all love Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to uh, say, God, okay, all right, I love Jesus, and, but the style or the outworkings, the things that are not in the Bible, uh, might be a little bit differently. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my preferences. I'm going to lay down my agenda. And my dad uh, was a pastor, um, and uh, he probably would have freaked out here this morning because we had a guitar and a bass, you know. And he's, his view of church was a piano and an organ. And, uh, but he loved Jesus. He wanted to see people come. But that was his style. And some, sometimes you have chairs or pews. And those things are, are, are insignificant compared to the kingdom. And so, you know, we don't fight over non-essential things. And... And in our preferences. You know, have you heard of Martin Luther and John Wesley and uh, Spurgeon? He has initials, right? What is it? C.H. Spurgeon or something like that. So they each lived about 100 years apart, and they had radically different theologies. They did. But they all loved God, and uh, they all made a big impact for the kingdom. But they had something in common. Do you know what it was? none of them would allow musical instruments in their church. They all said, basically, that musical instruments were instruments of the devil. Spurgeon in the 1800s, 1880s and 90s. And uh, they all said, no, not, because that was, uh, that's a style thing. That's a culture thing, a church culture. So as Russ and Mary are endeavoring to establish a church culture here where there's freedom, where there's liberty, where Jesus is loved and exalted and the word of God is honored and, and taught faithfully and that each person is um, encouraged to use their gifts 
and their talents to serve others so that God gets the glory and that we're all doing our part. We're working together in a spirit of unity because in unity God commands a blessing and, and all these things working together. It's just I just want to say um, that you're here for a reason. It's for such a time as this. And uh, that's what I wanted to say before I got started here. And uh, that was free. There was no extra charge for that one. <laughs> So, all right, Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would uh, bless us here as we uh, seek to honor you here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, um, what we're going to do at the end here is uh, we're going to pray over Russ and Mary as a couple, uh, but Russ particularly as in, in setting in or resetting in as an elder over uh, Redemption Hills because... Russ has been ordained for many years. He's served. He's led churches, planted churches, and, and uh, all that. But we want to um, recognize uh, his function in the life of this local church as an elder. And so uh, I want to talk about that for a few minutes. And if you open up in your Bibles or look on the screen, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I love this little book uh, in Philippians. It's one of the prison epistles. Paul's writing it from uh, uh, being incarcerated, and uh, his, the theme here is joy in the midst of it. But uh, even, you, you know that all Scripture is inspired by God. Every word. Every word. And, there, and so um, I just want to go through uh, here. There's, there's a lot of indicators or signs of healthy local churches uh, in Philippians. And I just want to start with the first word, Paul. That's the first indicator of a healthy local church. And you know what the first indication of a healthy local church is? Changed lives. Because Paul's name used to be Saul. And so um, we, we, most of us know the story. Saul is going about his merry way. And uh, he's, he's persecuting Christians. And he's on the road to Damascus. And God knocks him to the ground, a bright light. And Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's going, I don't, who are you? And he goes, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. And uh, Paul goes, oh, I thought I was after these people of the way. You know, these usurpers trying to uh, take away our traditions and our religion and, and tear us down. And the, the presence of God, the download of God. Have you ever got a download from God? I think there must be these spiritual thumb drives that go in here. And it's like, and you, all of a sudden, you, it, it clicks. It goes, all right, okay, I just got a download from heaven. It makes sense. And, and uh, Paul's on the ground in utter desperation, and he realizes that his entire life was a sham. Everything he lived for, everything he believed, everything he fought for, everything he sought, everything uh, uh, that, uh, that he, he wanted to do, that he was trying to serve God, the God of Israel. He was trying to do the right things, trying to follow the law. Everything was absolutely and totally wrong, diametrically opposed to the will of Almighty God. And he realized in that instant that every person that he dragged out of their house and put in prison, every baby who he ripped away from his mother's arms, uh, every uh, uh, a person that he had tortured or, or even killed or stood by and watched them being killed, everything uh, caused him to be in this destitute uh, situation where he had no hope 
of the wrath, against the wrath of an almighty and holy God in his life, unless the grace of God, the mercy of God breaks through, and he realized that in that minute, in that moment, that he was totally lost without Jesus. He had an encounter <laughs> with Jesus, <laughs> and his life was never the same. Never the same. His life was radically changed. He, 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 from that moment on, he lived for God. He got beat up, he got imprisoned, he was hungry, he was uh, shipwrecked, he, was, he ultimately got his head cut off because of Jesus. He never wavered. He, from that moment when he uh, in, in, encountered Jesus, I'll tell you what, if you go out there on the road and a big old truck comes along and you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to have an encounter <laughs> and you will never be the same again. And, and Jesus is so much bigger than, than, than that in our lives, these, these things. Jesus... When we truly encounter Jesus, you'll never, ever be the same. And that's our, our prayer, is that people, when they walk through those doors, when we meet them in, in the marketplace, in our homes, uh, that they will encounter Jesus in us. Not us, not Redemption Hills, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, of course we're going to love the church. Of course we're going to embrace and have a sense of family and teamship and, and all those things. But it's Jesus that we're pointing to, and he changes lives. We don't change lives. Jesus changes lives. Paul and Timothy... Oh, no, there's another sermon here. Okay, Paul and Timothy, team, team. Uh, God is team, Father, Son, and Spirit, and always has had this eternal fellowship and relationship among himself. God is team, and he uses team from the very beginning. Beginning, Adam and Eve, it's not good for man to be alone. I want to join you with this team, this radical team uh, spirit. We see it in the, um, we see it uh, in uh, the early disciples on the day of Pentecost, Peter's up on, the, uh, up on the balcony, and there's the sound of a mighty and rushing wind, the whole town, there's thousands of people out there, and with no projection or microphone, he preaches to these uh, people out here, but it says, right before he starts talking, it says, Peter taking his stand with the eleven. He wasn't up there, eh, Jesus is gone now, I'm the head honcho around here. No, he took his stand humbly. Yes, he was the spokesperson. Yes, that seemed to be his function in the early time. He had this uh, leadership uh, position and, and uh, often the spokesperson. And then a couple chapters later, he goes with John into the temple. And they pass the guy who's looking for alms. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Remember? And, uh, but, but Peter, when, when somebody who needs money, when you look at them, like when you go into the big city and people are panhandling and they want, you, you don't look at them. Because <laughs> once you look at them, right, they're going to zero in on you. Because uh, they know that they've been seen and everybody else walks by as if they're just ghosts or invisible. And once you see them, they're going to zero in. So he saw Peter looking at him and he thought, aha, my moment. And Peter goes, I don't have any gold. <laughs> I don't have. But, he, but Peter says this. He says, look at us. He doesn't say look at me. He says, look at us. Just that tiny little thing is, is acknowledging that God has not put me here as the Messiah, the problem solver for the whole world, that God is team, God uses team. We see it in Scripture. And then Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that word servant uh, is, is a doulos or a bond slave. That means we are willingly 
putting ourselves in the servitude of Jesus. And Jesus was the great servant. Got down on his knees, washed the disciples' feet, and uh, something that the lowliest of servants would do. It was a kind thing when you walked into someone's house. So Peter uh, is sitting there. Jesus gets down, girds himself up, puts his face right in Peter's feet. And I'll tell you what, feet in those days were stinky. Because streets were stinky and messy. There was donkeys walking around out in the street. There was sewage out there that people were stepping in. And, and uh, it was dirty. That's why they washed people's feet when they came to your house. <laughs> and it was refreshing and it was honoring and all that. And Jesus, the one who should have been uh, ha- having his feet washed, was the one that washed the feet. He was servant. And he said... He said this later, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And uh, thank you, sir. It was so slow, I didn't even catch the movement. So so Paul, Timothy's servants, this, this, this leadership, this function for the body of Christ, but yet humbly walking as servants, uh, husbands, remember that, that we are, our leadership is godly and servant-hearted. Then we see, uh, to all the saints, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. Um, so first we have changed lives, then we have team, then we have servants of Christ, then number four, we have uh, the priesthood of all believers. The saints, that's translated as the holy ones. Uh, he's just addressing this letter, and, but he says it's to the saints. I think it's interesting that they're listed before the elders and deacons uh, because that's God's way. The saints are the, the translation of the word is the holy ones, uh, the ones that are declared righteous before God. Um, some people grow up in churches where saints are dead people that had to have at least three miracles happen to them. They lived hundreds of years ago. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you're a Christ follower, you're a saint. You're one of the holy ones. You're one of the called out ones. And uh, that's who we are. And this, this concept of the priesthood of all believers is something that's really important to rest in Mary. I know, to, and we see it in the Word of God, is that uh, God said, I wish I had a whole nation of priests. And priests are people who represent God to man and man to God. There's the intermediaries. And now Jesus is our great high priest, yes. Uh, but we are to represent Jesus uh, to the world. And so it's, you'll hear more about this uh, in coming days. But uh, basically what we do is, have you ever been outside on a sunny day with a big mirror? Whenever we would move when I was a kid, I would always volunteer to carry the mirror outside, you know, on the dressers and things like that, because I wanted to catch the sun, and I wanted to shine it right in my friend's across the street's window of the house, you know, play it like this. And uh, all the way down the street, you know, a kilometer away, you could see this big square of the sun. It was pretty cool. Anyway, our job as the priesthood of all believers is to capture Jesus and reflect him to the world so that they don't see us, they see Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And uh, Satan will do everything he can to tear down the priesthood of all believers. He'll use all kinds of traditions and rules and things that aren't in the, in the Bible to tear that down. And we, sometimes we go, now Russ, he can hear from God all week. 
He can do the fasting and prayer thing and read his Bible. He can just come here on Sunday and tell us what the Bible says. That's breaking down the priesthood of all believers. Because when this veil was in the temple was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died, that signaled that we all had access into God's very presence, all of us. And sometimes we go, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to bed early Saturday night and come refreshed and ready to serve and give on Sunday. Russ can do that. Mary can do that. Uh, I want. I want to. You know. I. I don't want to watch the TV and movies that I. You know. That might harm my soul. And. 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 and uh, but he can do that. He can live the holy life. What that is is that trying to sew the curtain back up so that we have somebody else in God's presence and they can just tell me what it is. No, we actually have that responsibility as the priesthood of all believers to the saints. That's the number one ministry team in Redemption Hills. I'm sure. That's the first team, the number one team, uh, who are in Christ Jesus, and with the overseers and deacons. And so I want to talk a little bit, uh, just for a moment, about uh, healthy, healthy uh, leadership. We see pictures of healthy uh, leadership in the, in the Bible. So um, elders and deacons, or overseers, I'll talk about that word in a moment, uh, are the only offices we see in the New Testament. It's the only ones. Um, so if we go to 1 Peter chapter 5, this is Peter. Now he's an elder statesman in the, in the church now. He's not this upstart, young upstart. Uh, he's older, he's respected, he's a father figure for many and has loved people. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Now that uh, word elders, what is it in New King James? The elders who are among you. Okay, so that Greek word is presbyteros, which simply means older or more mature. And uh, as a fellow elder, and this, the word there, fellow elder, that's singular, that's the only place you're going to find elders singular in the New Testament. And he's just referring to himself as a fellow elder. But it's always at teams of elders, and uh, we do believe in team. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so that word shepherd is poimen, or, or, or poimeno is one's a verb and one's a noun, to shepherd or to be a shepherd. Oftentimes we hear pastor, the word pastor associated with a shepherd. Like we'll say there's the pastor and his flock, you know, kind of like that lingo. This word is translated in, in the scripture as shepherd or pastor. So when you see pastor, it's poimen, poimeno, and shepherd here. Uh, of the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Uh, that Greek word there is episcopo or episcopeo, to be an overseer or to, or to exercise oversight. Um, the person or the, or the function. Exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what I see right here, these three words, presbyteros, poimen, and episcopos, those are here together shortly. These three words also appear in Acts chapter 20, but it's a much longer passage. So here's what I see. It's a perfect job description of elders in the local church. Who are they? The mature ones. Now, an elder can be in his teens, I believe. I believe that most of Jesus' disciples were in their teens when he chose them. 
they were young guys. Because remember that time they had to pay the temple tax? Jesus said to Peter, go get a fish and there'll be a coin in his mouth. You pay the tax for us. You only paid the tax in the temple for 20, 20 years old or older. So that doesn't, there's no mention. It doesn't say they were younger, but there's no mention of them, the others paying the tax. They were just young dudes. Jesus was the old guy at 33. And um, so we see a perfect description of elders here. Who are they, the mature ones? What do they do? They exercise oversight over the church and all its affairs as a team. How do they do it? They do it with a shepherd's heart. Shepherd's heart. Now, in the Middle East, everyone knew that a shepherd would sacrifice his life for the sheep. He would lay his body across the entrance to a cave to protect them from the bear or the lion or the wolf. You know, he would, in the, in the Old Testament, one of the prophets says, he gently leads those that are with young. Come on, Fluffy, let's go. I know you have a little baby Fluffy with you. Let's go. Let's go, and I'm going to lead you to a safe place. So isn't that a great job description? Who are they, the elders? What do they do? Exercise oversight. How do they do it with a shepherd's heart? That's a perfect job description for mom and dad in the home. Who are they? The mature ones. Eh? (laughs) The mature ones. What do they do? They exercise over the household and all its affairs. And how do they do it? With a shepherd's heart. Only with the highest and best interest in mind. Uh, for those there. So we see with those three words, you could have uh, elder or bishop or overseer or pastor or shepherd. Those are all one and the same. It's elders in the local church. That's what that is. So um, then the other office we see in the New Testament are are deacons. And uh, I believe Acts chapter 6 is the first deacons. It was fledgling. It was beginning. But there was a problem, and they came up with a solution, and their result was fruitfulness. Just like when Moses set in his leaders uh, way back in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a problem, and then there was a solution. Let's set up leadership. And at uh, one point, God says, I'm going to take some of your spirit and put it on them, and that they may be able to carry the load with you. God's always used leadership. There's a necessity for leadership. He's never made it a, um, uh, I don't want to say... Uh, the value and the equal, of course, is the same, but God's always said that there's different functions. And one of the functions in any team or any group is leadership. There's headship even in the home. Uh, God always does that. And so um, we're not talking about deacons today much, but they are vital. The deacons in Acts chapter 6, there was, the church in Jerusalem was a mega church. There's thousands, there's probably 20,000 people in the church. And uh, they needed deacons that were full of the Spirit, uh, full of the grace of God, to help solve relational issues. It wasn't, you know, you're in charge of the bins, you're in charge of the coffee, you're in charge of the toilet. Uh, No, it's actually people. They deal with strugglers and stragglers and outcasts and wanderers and, and all those kind of things. Huge relational connectors in the life of the church. Um... That's deacons. So we see deacons and elders as the only leadership in the local church. So, praying over Russ and Mary today. All right. I'm going to read you a few passages that deal with eldership. Uh, Russ, like I said, he has been ordained already. He's been in ministry for 40 years. And, but there's a recognition today that he's an elder in this house. And so, I want to... Um, 
point out some Bible passages in the New Testament that talk about the responsibilities of elders. You can expect that he will fulfill those responsibilities. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also responsibilities uh, of the people toward the eldership. If you're, part, if you're called to be part of this church, he can expect that you're going to do your part there. So I'm going to tell you what those are and then ask uh, Russ and Mary to commit to you in that respect and ask you to commit to them if you so desire. And uh, here we start in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let the elders who rule well. You can expect that he will rule well. And that's not authoritarian. That's godly servant-hearted leadership. Uh, just like... Uh, the requirement for ruling well, uh, let the elders who rule their house well rule in the church. That's not what we would think of, of a ruler, like a king, you know, this kind of thing, but somebody who there's order and there's safety, that kind of uh, rulership. And if he hasn't already, you're going to hear sermons from Russ on rulership, right? <laughs> rulership. <laughs> Consider worthy of double honor. That means that there, there's, uh, that's actually speaking about money and financings and uh, sustaining there. Especially those who labor. You can expect that he'll labor. He and Mary will work hard. And, he, and Russ will labor in preaching and teaching. You can expect that. It's work. And for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox. He's an ox. You're okay to say that. It's a biblical term. When it treads out the grain... For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder. In verse 19, that's a responsibility. Uh, we, we don't take that lightly of accusing uh, lightly. Except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, as those who persist in sin rebuke them in the presence of all. That's talking about eldership who are persisting in sin. In other words, he's committing to be accountable to you. You can expect that. Um, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That means you want to make sure that the person is mature. You can expect from them maturity. Uh, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and, or to recognize those who labor among you. Um, that is a requirement from the church here at Redemption Hills onto the eldership that they recognize that, yeah, we believe that God has called you to function as overseers in this, in this house. Uh, and that they, it, it says they're over you, uh, but in our culture that's, you might have seen the triangle thing where a lot of churches are set up like a triangle where the people are here and you get promoted to deacon, and then you get promoted to elder and then you're the head honcho, you're the lead guy and you're the king of the castle. That's not biblical. And then sometimes we'll flip it out of reaction to that, we'll flip it the other way where the poor pastor's down here trying to, and the people are in charge up here and voting this and that and that. That's not biblical either. Um, my dad was a pastor, and every year we had to sit, they had business meetings, and we had to hope that the church would vote my dad in for another year. And like, please vote for my dad. That is ungodly. That's not in the Bible. But we see that is on its side and moving forward. It's like an arrow, and it's come follow me as I follow Christ. 
But the arrow is no good by itself without the shaft and the feathers and the notch at the end where this whole arrow is pushing that arrowhead through with momentum and mass and uh, health there. So, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish, that means to warn and rebuke and challenge you. You can expect that they will issue warnings like a watchman on the wall. Warning, warning, we're watching out for you. And to esteem them very highly, that's an expectation of the people on them, to esteem them, not to put them on a pedestal, but to take seriously their charge to, to uh, lead the body. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders. Um, who spoke to you the word of God. So your job is to remember uh, the leaders. Their job is to lead those who spoke to you the word of God. That remember means remember them in prayer. Remember them friendship-wise. Remember them in care and concern. Um, Consider their their, their outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If you want your marriage to be good, look look at Russ and Mary's marriage and the other elders to follow. Look at their marriage. Consider their ways. Uh, Are they followable? So that's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. What did Georgie say last night? I got four fingers looking at you. (laughs) Uh, Imitate their faith. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. I'll tell you what, in Western culture, that's a tough one. Obey your leaders or obey your elders. Um, for they are keeping watch over your soul. And that's not talking about every area of your life. It's talking about in the sphere of the church. They're not going to come in your house and tell you what color to paint your bedroom. That's not their sphere of authority. Their sphere of authority is within the confines of (laughs) of the church. And so, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account... You can expect that they will keep watch, and you can also expect this. And this is, as as an elder, this is one of the scariest things for me. They will give an account for you. You will not have to give an account for them. And as an elder who's charged to keep watch and to lovingly care for and lead the flock, God's going to say, what'd you do? Parents, God's going to say, what'd you do with those kids I gave you? They're not yours, they're mine. What did you do with them? You're going to have to give an account. And um, let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage uh, to you. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Russ and Mary to come up here. Just stand up here. Oh, yeah, we'll go get them. Yes. They can all come in. But you can stand up here, up here. You can start getting ready because they are older and it takes them a while to get up here, stretch out their legs. (laughs) She always reminds me of that. Uh, (laughs) Hi, you guys, come on in. 
This is something very special. You might remember this for many, many years. Okay, the scriptures that I've just gone over, I'm going to ask uh, Russ will be set in and recognized as the elder. Now, Russ and Mary are in team, so that presents a little bit of uh, sometimes a misunderstanding. Russ is the elder, but if they're a team, together they're eldering. Does that make sense? Russ is the pastor, but together they're pastoring. So his, his, they're, they're one. They're one team. And, uh, but Russ is, Russ is being set in, but we're going to ask them to, uh, to answer this here. Uh, to Russ, I'm going to ask you this. Um, can the people here expect you? Don't say yes until I'm all finished, because it'll be too many. All right. Can the people expect that you will, before God, by the grace of Almighty God, will you rule well? Will you labor? And toil among them, will you preach with vision and direction and teach good theology and doctrine and uh, give them the whole counsel of God in the context of this culture to be accountable to them and to the Lord, to be mature and to oversee the aspects of the church, to admonish them, hearing from God for them, to warn, rebuke, and challenge lovingly, uh, to lead these people into all that God has promised them, to call them into action together, to keep watch over their souls, guarding the gates as a watchman on the wall, uh, laying down your life, and giving, knowing that ultimately you'll give an account to God uh, for what we've done here. If you'll do that, please say, by the grace of God, yes. It would have to be by the grace of God, because that's a lot. <laughs> yes. Yes. And together will you do that. All right. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, <laughs> for those of you, there's no pressure here, please. But if you are feeling that God has called you to be part of this uh, new church, would you stand up? All right. See you standing back. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding the scriptures that we just read and gone over, by the grace of God, will you obey and imitate their faith and consider their ways, watch their life and their marriage and their generosity and their shining lights and their conduct outside the church? Will you remember them in prayer and encouragement and bringing refreshment and friendship to them uh, in a detectable way? Uh, and esteem them very highly, speaking well of them and receiving from them and respect them and not listen to accusations lightly uh, and endeavor to give uh, double honor and support um, so that their focus is not financial resourcing but the work that God has called them to. If you agree with that, say yes by the grace of God. Amen. Terry, come on up. All right, you can take your seats out there. <laughs> no, wait, you have to stand up here still. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this couple. 
God, we thank you for them. I, I pray that you would anoint them for such a time as this. I pray that you would sustain them and give Russ and Mary youth and vigor and, and strength and vision and equip them for the work that you've called them to do here. I pray, God, that they will seek Jesus first above all else and seek to love uh, the people that he's put uh, in their care and together as a team of saints to impact this region and the nations. Father, we uh, acknowledge uh, the gift that you've given uh, to us in Russ and Mary. We thank you and receive them as gifts to this local church in the office of eldership. And God, I pray that you'd sustain them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a clap. Thank you. It's humbling for us to realize that God's added us together with this team because the A team is the kingdom of priests. It's all of us. Okay, that God's added us together where the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places, and we're thrilled uh, with that. Uh, why do we do this? There's something very clear in the Bible that when we build according to God's pattern, we see his presence and his power. So we want to be sure that we're building according to his pattern. Not what we think is a good idea. Have we been ordained before? Yes. But why do we do it here? Because it's his pattern. It's function, not position. It's are we functioning in that? Not do we have a position. There isn't a denomination. We don't, we're not part of a denomination. These guys are not the denominational heads who've come to ordain us. They're gifts that Jesus has given to the church. So in a very real sense, Jesus plants a candlestick. Who plants a church? Jesus does. We don't. He does. But then he uses team to do that. And so we want to do it his way. So thank you for being here this morning. I feel like we're actually, this is the beginning of Redemption Hills Church. Not because we're the pastors but because we're the team that he's called. Lord, we just stand humbled and amazed that we get to be a part of what you're doing. You've said over and over there is a, something you're doing in this city and in this land, in this nation, and that you've called us to be a part of that. We're, we recognize it's not because we're so great. It's not because we have so much to offer, but it's because you're so great. Your grace is so amazing that you can even use us. If you can speak through a donkey, you can even use us. And so we just thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. Lord, we wanna see your fame, your majesty, your glory. We wanna see people come to, to know you. We wanna uh, live that picture that Steve had, that we're the mirror that reflects Jesus to a hurting world. Lord, we wanna see Hundreds and thousands of people come into relationship with Jesus. Whether they're, they're ever added to this church or not, that's not the issue. The issue is that they're added to your kingdom because they know you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege. We honor you. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Uh,
Yeah. I know it's hard to understand because we think denominationally. And so I wanted to say that so that you don't think that we we're part of a denomination. We aren't. We believe that the highest authority is in the local church. Elders and deacons are the only leaders in the church mentioned in the Bible. There is, though, gifts that Jesus gives. They don't come as an authority over. They come as a gift to help. 